It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. Here to discuss the eighth episode of Westworld. This one is called Trace Decay. It is basically the theory that once a memory is made or a memory trace, that as time goes by, unless you do something like recall it, rehearse it, whatever the kind of memory is, then it will just fade away into nothingness. And it's actually like chemicals that your brain produces to create that trace there. The theory doesn't specify. Oh. It's more more or less conceptual that this thing in your brain called mm-hmm. a memory trace is created once you make a memory. And unless you make some effort to retain it, away it goes. It's like a use it or lose it situation. Yeah. I see. That's why things get hazy as times go by. From what I understand, the haziness of those memories is actually what helps us keep an idea of time. How distant the memories are, the more hazy they are. And in that case, we as humans understand that those are memories that are from further back than than memories that are more crisp for us. So it helps keep a more clear timeline. Whereas like with our host robots, because every single quote unquote memory is as crisp as another, keeping a timeline is really difficult for them, even Mm -hmm. if they have a memory, because they don't have a sense of how far back that memory is. Felix kind of alluded to that when he was like, our memories aren't the same. Like yours stay very crisp and ours don't. Well, they're not supposed to remember. So when they do, it's like they probably didn't bother to put a timestamp on it because they're not supposed to remember. Exactly. So there's that too. But even still, like if you think about just the way that human brains work and the idea that it actually does help us have a sense of who we are and how long ago different things happened by the decay of our memories, that's actually really interesting. And the idea of why older people need even more like photographs and- Mementos. mementos, if you will, to stir those memories up. I also like the idea that trace for me didn't have anything to do with this trace decay memory, but just the word trace made me think of your tracks and like the the traces of you being somewhere, meaning in this case, Teresa's death and the way that they have Bernie have to go back and deal with all the traces that they left behind that mm-hmm. they were involved with her death and all the different ways. And I liked how basically they, in the decay part of it, if you will, they were removing themselves from having to do with Teresa's death. It's a stretch on that one, but pretty much all of the titles have multiple meetings. So this was a unrelated to the podcast fact, but I, in my non-podcast world, teach a class to students wanting to learn about different aspects of filmmaking. And to do that, I show them movies that really stand out in one way or another. And this week, just totally coincidentally, I chose Memento which was written by none other than Jonathan Nolan and directed by his brother, Christopher Nolan. As I watched it, because I haven't seen it in a while, and so I watched it with the students and I thought, damn, this is is like, like I explained to Caroline, this is sort of like a prototype story for Westworld. There's even a guy named Teddy in it. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I don't know that I would use the word prototype, but I would say that it seems that the brothers are very fixated on the concept of memories and the idea of what makes us all understand who we are is really our collection of memories and the stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you have different markers, whether like in Memento, there's tattoos on the guy 
and you try to have these markers, like maybe photographs, or you try to have, like you said, mementos, things that help you remember things that happened. And you have stories that are tied to them. And you tell yourself the stories. And then that's how, how you know what your life was shaped by and, and who you are, therefore. In the movie, I definitely think the idea of having all of these different mementos then sort of like shaken up and like, well, what if that memento didn't mean what you thought it meant? Or what if different stories weren't reliable? Then what? I felt like within Westworld, we deal with that a lot of like, wait a minute, if we're learning it through this person's perspective, was that actually a reliable source for what was happening? Like we learned in the last episode with Bernie not being able to see the door. Then in that case, every time we saw things, how many other clues were we missing in that room mm -hmm. that Bernard just didn't see and therefore wasn't able to tell us? So every narrative that we've been told so far, it makes me stop and pause and say, shoot, even though they're saying that the hosts themselves have this little program that, uh, that makes them ignore things that would hurt them, I think humans do too. We have things that you look around and you ignore certain very glaring issues because they don't fit your narrative. And so therefore, you just have to commit to whatever your narrative is. Like people might say like, you know, within a marriage or ignoring a problem that a child might be having because it doesn't fit your narrative of like, well, but that child is an A student. Yeah, but did you notice they were doing X, Y, Z? I just don't pay attention to that. And from the outside, we all look and say, oh my God, that person's in denial about whatever. You know, being in denial is actually the same thing as hosts ignoring things. And that theme related to why I brought up Memento carries through with those people in that... Spoiler, spoiler. They're very selective about how they want to live, how what they want to believe, and what they think of them themselves, I guess. And so thematically, I just thought the carryover in terms of, well, memory-related things, but also just the people that you meet may come across initially as cast in the white light or the shadow, but as you get to know them, that's just a coincidence. They were just wearing white that day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I really like that because, and, and again, like we were saying, when we all met Teddy in Westworld on the train, we always assumed because he treated Dolores nicely, so we thought with the picking up the can of milk and, and going off in the sunset with her riding horseback, I always had the initial gut feeling that he was a good guy. But the joke of it was, is that I was denying exactly what they had already explained to us at various points that he was wearing a black hat. I didn't even see his black hat. Honestly, I had to go back and look and say, Teddy's wearing a black hat. Why did I, like a goose, think that he was a good guy from the get-go? Because you are a goose. I, I guess, but it reminded me of Memento as well, of like, you know, you have a preconceived notion of who's good and who is bad, and maybe even characteristics about them that you think, well, Teddy's handsome, he must be the good guy, right? And maybe Man in Black is more scarfed up and more scarred looking. And he's, we he's obviously wearing the black suit and everything. Well, then he must be a bad guy, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't really know who's good and who's bad. And we've clearly ignored certain characteristics about people in order to have them fit what we thought they initially were. And characters like poor, poor Bernie... Oh my Good God. and bad can change by the second. No joke. We were just erasing our dry erase board that has our um, notes from each story. And it's so sad because on the note board we had from previous episodes, it's a bad day for Bernie. And I'm like, oh, Paul, it's another bad day for Bernie. Right. Like he has had 
so many bad days. But how funny it is that when I think of him, I don't think of him as like a sad character or a, you know, some guy who's got this like really horrible down on his luck life. Actually, when I think of Bernie, I think of him as like smart and curious and very professional and all these things. But when we look, if you looked at what we've actually been shown, he has the day after day awful storyline yeah. every day has been been worse than the than the prior day today was actually sort of even if you could believe it so we pick up with bernie right where we left off basically with him crying about Teresa and making the realization that he has been used as a killer and he feels just awful the exchange with him and ford i really hated to watch bernie more or less, is a man. He happens to be a host, and he's there with someone who's telling him that he's more or less amused watching how effectively the emotions that have been programmed into him are expressing themselves. I wrote the same word. I put Ford's face equals amusement, which grossed me out. I'm with you 100% that when he is like kind of smirking and making these faces like, it would be like if we were watching like a little toy or something do silly antics and you're just kind of kind of like half smirking like oh that's so wacky you know but there's zero empathy zero mm. empathy and for as much as ford has kind of claimed him as his like apprentice or even dare i say friend which i know ford would scoff at i feel like the exchange is so gross because you see one quote-unquote person just struggling, twisting in the wind, just falling apart. And the other one showing zero empathy for that. When Ford was talking, he was, said a few things. One of them being, you know, it's better than emotions, the ability to turn them off. And, <laughs> and so he still has that godlike power trip. But he also told Bernie that he himself, Ford, created Bernie because he needed a smarter programmer than anyone else he could find. Now, I'm starting to think of Ford's stories as partly true rather than completely true. I like that. And so when I hear that he created him, I'm starting to waver on whether or not Bernie is in fact a host version of Arnold or if Arnold was always a host and Bernie is just a second copy. Wow. Arnold was always a host. The issue that I guess I would have with that and I believe that it could be true. The problem that I have is that it seemed that Arnold and Ford, at least through only Ford's storytelling, that they diverged in what they thought that this land could have been and what their even goals were for this land and for their creations. And to that end, I would have a hard time thinking that Ford would create a host mm. that... He would he would bother disagreeing with. Right. <laughs> right. You know what's better than disagreeing? Having the ability to turn it off. Right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I would have a hard time believing that Ford would do that. However, I think that we would be foolish to think that we've seen the true creator. Because I don't think that Ford is the end-all be-all in the hierarchy. Mm. I honestly think that there is a very good chance that Ford himself is a host. 
and was created by someone else, someone above them. I'm not even going to say the word Arnold because I'm just going to say there's a level above them. We keep thinking that Ford was the first step, but I don't think so. I think that it is possible that there's someone above that. And maybe Bernie and Ford, I'm going to say Bernardold and Ford, could possibly be the Cain and Abel, like the, the two brothers. And in that case, I could go with you that maybe there could be diverging opinions because maybe the true creator made two different ways and wanted to see who would win in -hmm. that. And so maybe there were two initial creations of like one with one line of thinking and one with another. Let's see who can dominate. I think the bottom line is just that whatever we've been told about Arnold in, in episode three and whatever we've picked up along the way and whatever Ford is telling us you just can't take it as gospel. It's going to be partly true. It's just not completely true. Especially because we have seen that there's nothing that Ford has said that has been completely true. We can look back and see that every time he's told a story to somebody, whether it be Teresa or whomever, there seems to be some little part of it that that is revealed to us in the bigger scheme of things as like, oh, that wasn't exactly right. You know, he, mm. he definitely twisted that or said that in a way that was a little bit, you know, more to his advantage as everyone does, right? When you retell a story, you, you very <laughs> rarely retell the story in which you are the loser of the story in such a blatant way, right? Not usually, no. Everybody tells the story in which they had their reasons for doing what they did. And you should just, no matter if how neutral they even appear to be telling the story, they had their reasons, you know, and they're good reasons for acting the way they did. So it all goes back to that same thinking that, you know, people are presented in certain lights as good or bad or wise or thoughtful or whatever, just because Ford thinks of himself as a, in a godlike way. Look how much he's influenced us into thinking he is the, he is the originator. Mm-hmm. Well, we're only thinking that because he keeps telling us how great he is. <laughs> And right. how, how godlike he is. And that's the only proof we really have that he is truly the originator. And he even admits to Bernie, he doesn't actually think that there is much of a difference between humans and hosts and consciousness and who has it and who doesn't. Doesn't that kind of talk like the person who's not a human and who maybe <laughs> doesn't have consciousness? Wouldn't you put down the concept of consciousness? Uh, right. Like, if you didn't really have deal. it, like, meh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cares what's all this what's all this fuss about consciousness like that kind of sniffs of like the person who might not have it himself the last moment that bernie had before his memories were adjusted he asks ford if he'd ever had him hurt anyone else to which ford lies and says no no mm -mm." or we believe he lies because we're treated to this second long flashback of bernie choking out elsie Do you believe that that memory is true, that he did harm Elsie? So I have a couple of thoughts on this. One, I think that whenever I hear anyone else talking about this or reading about it in various articles and stuff, my issue is that people keep saying there wasn't enough time for Bernie to get there because she's talking on the phone and he's at Teresa's and then 
he he just couldn't have enough time because then the person just comes right up behind her. That's not true. That's not what happens. She gets off the phone with him. Then Elsie has this totally undesignated amount of time that she's uploading stuff. Yeah. And we don't know how many minutes to maybe it could have been an hour. We don't know how long that was. It is edited in this way that your brain jumps to thinking that those events are back to back to back to back. But this is the second time that's happened. And it makes me mad at the watchers who are insistent that they understand the timeline. Because if there's anything that we are all hazy on right now is exactly when things happen. And the word exactly is important because if it's the difference of 15 minutes, yeah, it could be modern day Bernie as we know him. If it is the exact timing. But my thought is that it could be a flash memory to him actually doing it himself. There could be this idea that Arnold, if Bernie is actually a copy on the outside of what Arnold looks like, and we kind of think Arnold might be still physically around the park. What if that was Arnold that was actually in there choking her? Now, I know we think, how would Bernie have those memories? My thought is that I think that hosts have some sort of connection to the mainframe computers of everything. And I think that there is like some things that they can see or know or whatever. I don't know because of Bluetooth or because of some sort of hive memory something of some part of, of the park. So somewhat I think it could be the real Arnold but even more than that, I just keep coming back to that timeline part of like, we don't really know how long that Elsie was there. And so do I think Bernie could have had enough time to go there? I do, because I think there's also probably those secret passage kind of things that we talked about that he could have easily made it from one place to another. The park in itself is not that big. If you look at the maps on of Westworld Online, it's not that large. And so the idea that there could be like Disney World type cut throughs or we said like Ikea type cut throughs where you could just kind of make it from one lane to another really through a very short passageway and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I think that that's actually possible. The other example that I have of this that people keep really honing in on Lawrence. is Lawrence. People repeatedly say there's no way that Lawrence could have just popped up to be El Lazo. That's not the way the timeline worked. And they explicitly said it. When Logan and William, William want to see El Lazo, they tell him he'll see you tomorrow. And then we have the El Lazo visit. And I know editing-wise, it goes from Lawrence getting killed to that he'll see you tomorrow and then the next thing we have is the el lazo meeting but you had to listen he said tomorrow <laughs> a day has passed y'all like pay attention to the timeline and not just to the editing so it is absolutely possible that lawrence the dead body got back down to the the shades and the butchers fixed him up and he went back to his El Lazo beginning loop. That particular argument also kind of overlaps with the multiple timeline situation. But I think the important thing to pick up out of this is what you said a second ago is to not get overly sucked into the editing. Because if you noticed, the creators are already pulling at you in terms of we're showing you this person 
your gut is going to say they're a good person and then we're going to make them do stuff that you won't even believe is possible. So similarly, I think they're doing that with editing too. And they're making you think one thing because everything else you've ever seen is edited this way. But that doesn't necessarily mean everything that's implied, meaning that things happen back to back to back to back to back. Like Caroline said, an indeterminate amount of time can happen between one cut and the next. And just because they didn't show you a star wipe or something between cuts. Or like at the bottom, like five minutes later, your brain is making up the time frame, but it's your own brain. Stop foisting that on the show and saying, well, clearly that's when it happened. No, that's how it feels like it happened. That's how it was shown to you. And it's important to know that moving forward in this show, that the creators know how entertainment works, what your brain is already expecting, and they are going to use it against you. Yeah, they're going to manipulate us like that. To make the story work. And to trick you. How many times has Ford said, everything's magic except to the magician? You guys have to keep remembering that illusion is a part of this story. And the illusion of time is an important thing for us to keep remembering. Now, just so everyone remembers, Paul and I are both big believers that we're definitely seeing multiple timelines. But within those timelines, don't be sucked in that a back-to-back -back scene means, and that happened exactly next. Do you believe that Stubbs, given his interaction with Bernie at the end of Bernie's shitty day is ever going to figure out that Bernie is a host? Well, I definitely think that he was questioning what the heck is up with Bernie when Bernie's denying any type of relationship with Teresa. And, and Stubbs tries to be kind of a gentleman pal about it and be like, you guys were very discreet, you know, don't get me wrong, but I am like head of security I'm obviously going to see you guys coming and going from each other's places and stuff. So I just want to express a heartfelt sorry. Could you just like accept that and don't make me feel stupid about it? And Bernie's like, don't know what you're talking about. I do think that that moment Stubbs was like, ah. Well, Bernie was too convincing, too convincing. You know what I mean? It, right. Because In a way he, that's like, did you get a hit on the head? Like, how right. could you not know what I'm talking about? And I think that's why he didn't pursue it. But now his his hackles have been raised on this particular subject. Stubbs, though, you know, I think is a host as well. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I feel like he he is also in that category. I wonder if it's one of those things kind of, I don't know, a little Maeve-like or something where it's like, wait a minute, didn't I, I just heard, wait, <laughs> like that doesn't match what I think I already know. And so it's not like Stubbs was going to glitch out, but in a way he kind of did where he was like, wait, 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 what? Like that doesn't match the story I think I know. And so in a way, I do think that who knows, maybe that's going to, you know, make Stubbs start wondering what, wait, what do I know? Well, Stubbs, Stubbs is uh, proving to be a little more interesting than I originally thought because- I really like him, actually. I, I had thought that he was in cahoots with whoever- originally was trying to get the data out of the park. We come to find out that that was Teresa and she was doing it all by herself, apparently. And now Hale has come back to town and more or less revealed herself as the person further up the chain that had been directing Teresa to get the data to which she goes looking for a new friend and it's not Stubbs. So Stubbs wasn't in on the deal. 
that's my assumption anyway. So where Stubbs fits in, you know, how he's going to help or hurt the overall plot or how, you know, wherever it's going, it's way up in the air for me. Well, it makes me wonder in the whole Stubbs as a host kind of conversation, if he's ignoring things that don't fit the story, you know, like, I don't know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe he just, he, maybe he was sort of helping Teresa without knowing he was helping Teresa. Hmm. Like, you know, he was given the word to go cut off the head of the woodsman. So he did, but maybe out of loyalty programming, like maybe they pushed his loyalty up or something to Teresa. I don't know. You think Delos has hosts that work for them that aren't Ford hosts? Because, I mean, if Ford makes them, they're his. I'm positive. I don't think that Stubbs is a Ford host. I don't think that Stubbs was made by Ford. Okay, so, I think he, so he there's was, like the GMC Yeah, host. I think he was, yeah. No, I think he's part of the generic host crowd, I believe. But maybe that's foolish because maybe we should be thinking that anybody who's in the current Delos headquarters, maybe they're all hosts in that regard that Ford made only because I feel like there could be like switcheroos that had to happen just like you know, killing one and replacing it with another mm-hmm. because that's the main way that Ford keeps control of HQ is by keeping control of the people who are in it. Control is regained by Ford this week by a surprising turn. The 3D printer that we guessed last week that would be printing up a brand new, more obedient Cullen, that was a wrong guess because they found Cullen's body. And the way that I felt like the, again, the edits and the way that the camera was shooting that scene, I feel like, again, they forced our brain into thinking it has to be making a Cullen because they had Cullen dying basically at the feet of the 3D printer. And so in the shot, they were like forcing your eyes to see one person dying, another person being created. And it just made sense to a human brain that like that's the replacement right Mm -hmm. so again it's like i feel like we have to keep encouraging ourselves to like push past that if that's your initial gut feeling then stop and back up and say wait 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 wait. they are trying to make us think that you know the most simple situation is probably the answer in fact they've even told us that on how many times have they actually said you know the most simple explanation is probably the most right one and in that case it's like completely pushes us to keep keep looking at a scene like that and saying 3d printer making someone someone dying that's yeah. the person because they right. told us we should be only focusing on the simple explanations. Were you surprised that they actually brought out a dead Cullen body and showed yeah. it to us? Well, because I, I mean, like I was a- tricked. I thought, I thought he would have that other body ready, but I guess it's way slower than we thought. And maybe, and again, I don't think that was his end game. If Elsie had been killed previous to Cullen, then he was already busy making an Elsie. I don't know what more advantage an Elsie would have over a Cullen, but. Maybe Cullen was sort of a, you know, he knew she needed to go at some point and he had to, he just had to call an audible, basically. What if we see that promotion wise, it just seems logical to promote Elsie to QA? That'd be interesting. There does seem to be a rivalry between the behavior programmers and the QA programmers with behavior believing that they are way better than QA. Well, what if they said something like, you know... Elsie, you've really been finding a lot of issues with the host. We think you'd be better suited to be in quality control. Which is interesting because Ford, in this little meeting, he establishes a lot of things that sound like lies, but 
can't be disproven, like Teresa's demonstration with Clementine being a put on. And then they show the transmitter that Teresa's behind. And he basically says, until a more ethical replacement can be found, then we'll just kind of, you know, manage that part of the park responsibility in, in our own department. So if you uh, were creating your own ethical leader, according, down in the basement, yeah, then then yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Just move her right over into Cullen's position. Yes. So within that conversation, Ford says, of course, we're going to let Bernie back in since this was a clear manipulation of code by here, this dead Cullen. I think he's super smart constantly to blame somebody who can never defend themselves. He never says Hale did anything wrong. He washes her clean. He's like, look at this Cullen, this bad, bad Cullen manipulating everyone in this room. And Hale just has to kind of cop to it and be like all yeah she was so manipulative Ooh, because otherwise she'd have to implicate herself she can't argue on behalf of the dead girl right right so she just has to be like you're right boy that cullen Ooh, yeah ford you thought of everything how pragmatic of you you're very efficient but later on she reveals to us that she is the the culprit and she gets sizemore to help out and they're going to use out of all of the sleeping robots in cold storage they find the one crazy one to be their <laughs> helper. Tom Abernathy is going to be back on the scene here as a data mule. And we're just going to see how that goes. And somehow Sizemore is supposed to create a story, some narrative that's going to have Abernathy. At least she said, get on the train. Which train? Where? Good question. Because if you remember, there was that train leaving Pariah that heads towards the maze, right? I and assume then, she meant the passenger train. I assume the, she meant the, uh, me too. The guest train. But she doesn't say that. Right. And again, we just keep letting our brain fill in the blanks. And like we don't actually listen to the, to the words they're being said. She just says, get him on the train. She doesn't say, get him on that passenger train that, that leads in and out of the park. Well, as effective as Lee would be in doing that story part, he can't take out the explosive out of, out of his back. Well, here's the deal. Whenever they were doing the cold storage talk, I thought they said if someone goes down in cold storage and comes back out, that they would get like a rebuild. Oh. And that I guess it was the, the opportunity was in the rebuild to really like deal with that. That's good listening. I mean, I still think that that C6 talk is still a big problem because I don't know how that wouldn't have almost like a makes me think of like CVS, like you, they like pass you through the thing and you better beep, you know, as like the practice round, like you better show you have that magnetic strip or something inside you so mm. that you set off an alarm. And if you don't, well, how would somebody not notice that you're not up to code? I don't know. So this is going to be trickier and trickier and trickier here. I do like how they use the script here to make us hate Sizemore even more when he's having that host practice his lines and he's using the word moist. <laughs> Honest to God, I, I looked it up, you guys. There have been study after study that the word moist is the most hated word in America and in Great Britain. So it can't even be like it's a it's a cultural thing. Like people say it in Great Britain and we don't say here. No, no, no. It is also the most hated word in Great Britain. So the fact that they make him use that word is like, again, manipulating us to hate him. <laughs> and I am positive they want us to hate him. Someone else who's manipulating programming in new and adventurous ways this episode was Maeve. How'd you like the new Clem this week? I 
did not like her, Paul. I did not really like her at all. I never looked it up, but I think she was from a Cinemax show called Banshee. Oh. Where she plays kind of this slutty Amish girl. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just the fact that as soon as you said Cinemax, I thought Skinemax. So then I'm all like, yeah, she seemed hoary. <laughs> that seems right. That's I, awful. I guess she has a type. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Maeve decides to lay it out to Sylvester and Felix that she is going to up and leave. And I know we asked ourselves in previous episodes, is she going to try to escape Sweetwater or is she going to try to escape via HQ? Because those are two different settings. And of those two things, wouldn't you want to try to actually escape through HQ? At least in theory, people come and go from HQ. Nobody actually comes and goes from Sweetwater. All those guests are coming through HQ, right? Down in the passenger, everything. And then they're being shipped out to Sweetwater. So it's like Sweetwater is like the most interior. HQ would be your next place to get to. And then from HQ, in theory, you can get to the outer world. Her concept of the universe might be super small. They might not teach geography into hosts. I am convinced that when she got her intelligence boosted, that she has some sort of access to more information about the park than you're giving credit for. When she was on that gurney and she was like, go right, go left, go right, go left. And she was basically telling Felix and Sylvester how to get around their own workplace who knows? Like she could have access in her brain to like security camera. I don't know. I mean, her intelligence now is like through the roof. So she should be able to get more information around her environment than we would ever be able to get. The only thing that I'm going to say is like a clue to that is she's the one that brings up the, the C6 vertebrae and the explosion and that she knows it's there. Why would she know? And Felix and Sylvester are both like, ooh, damn. That does imply that while she's been poking around, she has been learning other things. That haven't been actually told to her. So somehow we know for sure that she has access to some information that they haven't shown us how she's getting it. And she's starting to think bigger. She knows now that she calls them allies or, or she needs allies or something to that effect. I don't, does she use the word allies or did I just write the word allies because that's what she meant? It doesn't matter. She knows that she needs help from the host side of the world. I couldn't imagine Maeve actually leading a herd of angry hosts on a rampage. I could think of it more like starting a pretty solid diversion while she gets away. That would be more what I'm thinking Maeve is going to do. I think that that's totally fair. I think that when she starts her out loud narrative uh, revamp that she does with Sweetwater and she starts just telling people what they're going to do and the host just do it and she's like just saying it out loud. Yeah. I think that that part was like kind of funny. Um, and well, obviously she, she learned the whatever the command language is. Or how to access the voice commands of the host. Somehow she she learned that and they believe her. Again, that's where I think she has access to, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Mainframe. I don't know. She has access to something maybe through her playing around on the tablet or whatever. When they showed her just sitting on the gurney playing around on the tablet with all those glass walls, I'm like, Okay, Stubbs, <laughs> you are getting an F today for security camera right. surveillance. You watch because... a little too much Bernie Teresa action. <laughs> exactly. You are not picking up on what is happening in the butcher shop at all. 
However, her Sweetwater antics also in the moment made me think, okay, this sort of seems like she's trying to run away from what she created here. Again, sort of that diversion kind of talk that you were talking about. But when she just goes back to her own room there and just kind of hangs out and the shades are coming to get her, I thought, hang on a second. And I even asked you out loud, like, is she doing this on purpose? Is she trying to get drug into HQ and perhaps even be purposely exposing herself outside of the butcher shop? So she knows how to get into HQ by dying and getting herself into the butcher shop, right? But mm -hmm. she seems to be trying to get herself brought in on a different level at this point. And so is that what she's trying to do? And at, you were telling me, no, no, I don't think so. I think she's really trying to get away or something. But it didn't ring true. Like Maeve is smarter than this to just create enough of a debacle there to simply go back to her own room and sit there seemed like, well, boy, that was a thud if that was your plan. Well, I think there's a couple things there. One is she's only ever caused... Uh, damage to herself to go in the shop with Felix and Sylvester, which is now a very controlled situation. This is totally different. This is like they've shut down the town and they're coming after her. But I think the second thing going on here that she didn't count on was that she is starting to have the same problem as Dolores, which is her memories are starting to not only come at inconvenient times, but they're starting to flare up in a way that she can't tell whether or not she's living out a memory or in her actual current life, which is why she cut the new Clementine's throat, because she remembered... She was like reliving the memory. ...doing it to the man in black. Right. And even more than just remembering, she was like reliving her movements, like her mm -hmm. hand actually moved in the current timeline because of a memory. Her arm was like doing it again. Yes. She wasn't counting on that <laughs> when she she had I think she had the intention of getting in that stagecoach. And so then everything goes crazy. She has this waking dream. She cuts someone else's throat. She causes a gunfight and she doesn't have a plan after that. So you thought she was going to run off in the stagecoach? That was her getaway mobile? That was a start. I mean, that's where she was going. That's where she was heading. I'm with you though, that she's too smart to think, well, I can just get lost somewhere inside Westworld and that will be a way, you know, outside of their control. And that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> right. It doesn't. It doesn't. It was a very short-sighted. I'll go with you that, that it was absolutely unplanned that these memories manipulate her current life plan so that that way it would create enough confusion that even if she had a really, really good, clear plan, she just gets now like confused and ends up kind of, like you said, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place. But I do honestly believe she wants to hang out in HQ on a different level than the butcher shop. And the best way I feel like she can get there, even though it's kind of unpredictable for her, is to get brought in. Separate from that whole narrative, though, was the flashback with Bernie and Ford, where Maeve is brought into the shop and she is out of control because she remembers her daughter being shot and she can't be shut down. So Maeve has had kind of a long history where this would have taken place about a calendar year before the events we're seeing. Maeve was then reprogrammed to be the madam at that point. What did you think of the little coda at the end of that memory where she stabs herself in the neck? Was that something that did happen or just something that was just part of the weird nightmarish part of the memory for her? 
I honestly don't know what to make of that. It's hard to believe that she would commit suicide in that situation. However, I do wonder if not unlike Ford's amusement about Bernie kind of losing his own temper and he did it in a different way. You know, he he kind of lunges at Ford. I kind of wondered if that was Maeve's like actual humanity coming out and she did successfully shut herself down by doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know. Obviously, they got her under control. She became the madam. Right. So I don't know. I don't know how to explain why she would have done that and why that would have been that character's end. I really question it because they had already gotten her to turn down her emotions programmatically and she did. And then she does that. So that made me question it. Just question it. Did it happen? Did it? Yeah, we should leave that outstanding right at this point and just say there's something about the host that somehow they can make like a human decision that is beyond host explanation. So where do you think Maeve's story is going to go for these last two episodes? How far are we going to go with her? Will she make an escape attempt before this season is out? Or do you think that we're just going to get her in position to make an escape attempt, like maybe down in cold storage, maybe episode 10 is her waking up in cold storage and whispering to somebody else. And then they wake up and like, we leave her in 10 with like a woken up people in cold storage making a plan. Well, I think we can rule out that she's going to be cleaned up and sent back to the Mariposa as the madam. I don't think that's on the table. Up until this episode, I was thinking that she would make her attempt and get blown up in the process. Now she knows she's going to get blown up So she's probably not going to try that at this point. So your idea about cold storage really works because they're going to bring her in and they're going to say, this one's broken. And and, and and just do what they always do. Because she, you know, within the last couple of weeks, it would show up on her report that someone had tried to put her in cold storage anyway. Right, right. So it'll be like... What's you know, okay. this would absolutely be like her last chance because already we they had been manipulating her so much with Elsie and the previous person trying to make her more appealing at the Mariposa and that she wasn't really getting any customers like she was very much on their radar screen for just not having it anymore whatever it is she just didn't have it anymore and they were already feeling like she was just sort of drug out you know she wasn't she wasn't doing her part anymore so. In that regard, she was very much on the chopping block, even before all these antics. Swan song. And she can wake herself up. Waking herself up in cold storage and being able to say or do something to wake up. If she has control of the voice commands, Mm -hmm. dude, she has control. And the key is that they're inside HQ. Wouldn't that be wild if there was this invasion of naked hosts <laughs> within the within the own their own system? Plus, I would bet you that Maeve has the ability to maybe even mess with their settings, meaning like lower their loyalty, raise their IQ, those types of things to other hosts. Now, I don't know if she's going to need to go snag a tablet or if she will even just have the ability through voice command and other things to be able to put on a happy face or turn the other cheek or blah, 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 like say things that are just going to do it without having to actually get a tablet. I bet she'll need a tablet because I don't think she's gone completely God mode just yet, but I think she is going to be able to play down how far advanced she is this coming week when they retrieve her. I think in episode 10, I can imagine her standing in gold storage and basically her eyes open. 
like mm-hmm. a la Dolores, like we saw, you know, all the times of waking up, you know, and I could just see her like being like, Dun! like her eyes open and even a smile comes on her face. And maybe she puts her hand on Clem's shoulder, who like suddenly is like, Dun! open her eyes. And then it's like, oh, we know what's coming. Then once again, when, when they get her in and they see that her brains have been turned up to 20, someone's going to be like, what's been going on with this one? I don't see. I don't know how far she can let them get in all that. Ooh, it will be interesting to find out how she does this. You know, she's going to have to stick a tablet up her doopie to be able to smuggle it down. We're going to move on to our star-crossed traveling companions, Dolores and William. How dare you say star-crossed as if to imply that they have a real relationship. They are a mess, Paul. Do you know that? The more that I think about these two, the more that I am convinced that we have been duped. And this whole idea that these two were ever going to be this just unforgettable love pair here. There's so nothing there. William, the way he treats Dolores in this episode is not the you unlocked me version from last week. Most of what she says and does annoys him to some extent. (laughs) And it seems like most of what she says and does could be said and done without him being there at all. And most certainly without having any interest in him. Everything she does, he he could be just her pack mule butler that like is coming along and carrying her water. And, you know, she kind of like says like, chip chop, like get over there, give him water. William, pull us, sit him up. William, she's like naggy and weird. And dude, this is no like passionate romance. All the people who are doing the shipping of William and Dolores, y'all, there is nothing here. Yes, they had sex on the train. Yes. And yes, William like had this moment of being like, you know, I I am kind of falling head over heels, but this is like stupid. So you're not team Willoris or Dillium? Dillium. Honestly, I wanted to be in the sense that like I really thought that there could have been a, an, an amazing romance here. But again, just giving the material that they've actually given us, taking my human heart and brain out of it and stop twisting it into something it's not. I don't see two people who are madly in love with another with one another. Dolores has never acted like she was madly in love. Whenever he tries to get even a little bit romantic, saying things like, well, Arnold's not here, but I am. She's like, yeah, whatever. Like, she, there's never a moment where she actually reciprocates that feeling. Well, she does physically, but that can be... Uh, and that she kissed him and then had sex with him? Yeah. Oh, my, my baby heart, Paul. You think that means that they love each other forever and ever? There's another movie I need to show you called... Is it also on Cinemax? No. It's called Ex Machina. It's got the same sort of thing where there are girl robots. One of them is a little smarter than the rest, and she wants to not live where she lives anymore. So she gets a human guy to help her escape. I'm not going to spoil it for you, though. Okay, fine. But that does not mean that that girl, like, is in love with him or no, him with her. No, it did not. <laughs> it no, did not work out doesn't. that way. And I don't feel like, I, I'm, I mean, but I don't even think Dolores is feigning interest in him. I really don't. Like, as much as it's like, oh, but they can, yeah, okay. But she doesn't ever follow up with, like, the, you're so handsome, William. Or, well, like, there's another, she's never said anything about any of his qualities or traits that she's even interested much less loves about him 
That's wait, absorb that fact. Don't just brush me off. Absorb that. She has never said like, you're so handsome. You're so smart. You're so funny. You make me feel safe. You make me feel no. He says shit like you unlock me. She says stuff like, I'm not a key. I'm just me. I'm old Dolores. <laughs> right? She does. She doesn't say shit like, you know, oh, you complete me. She's like, I'm complete. MF, get out of here. Unreciprocated. It's It goes along with what we were saying about things that are being done manipulating me. Like the music swells. They uh-huh. look at each other. It's staged at, in this way. Like a massive romance. And she doesn't there ain't run nothing away romantic. or anything. Mm-mm. She doesn't run away. <laughs> oh, my God. That is, that is our test of true love. She didn't run. Come on. It's a sliding scale. <laughs> you are ridiculous. Listen, guys, I'm just saying, like, rewatch again with neutral eyes, okay, and try to actually tell me that this episode showed any true love. William, the entire time, was just looking at her like, God. few things happen with Dolores and William this episode. First thing is, they find out that Logan is hot on their heels. Oh, crap. And, like, hunting them. Hunting them. So we all knew Logan was a jerk, but he couldn't just take a hint and stay gone. He needed to exact revenge, somehow join the Confederados. He's a new recruit, Paul. And then, yeah, start bossing them around. So somehow that all happened. (laughs) Next thing that's very interesting is that we found this weird mystery town and we saw it in three different time frames. We saw it in the time frame of Ford's reminiscence from episode three when they're teaching everybody how to dance. Well, we saw more of that memory from, I don't know if it's ex- exactly Dolores' point of view, but yeah, I think it was. And then we saw the town when William and she found it. And it's all buried. And it's buried. And then we basically see it again, but only a flash of it from the current modern timeline, Dolores' point of view, which she also sees it buried, but there's no one there with her. But that's just a flash. It just kind of comes across as a mental problem of Dolores's <laughs> that, that no one's there with her. And then all of a sudden, William is there with her because the town looks the same. Right. Which is filled in. Like you can still see peaks of roofs. Let's talk about why you would ever do that as opposed to just level the town and reclaim the wood and, you know, use it to build other structures and stuff. Why would you go through a ridiculous amount of trouble and waste to just fill it in? What is that? I can't think of a good example of when that's been done. I can. Isn't like some like hazardous material? Don't they just pour stuff on top of it and Mm. cover it and bury it? Right? Like radioactive material. I think it's concrete Stuff like that. Well, we don't know what's under the sand. Yeah. So, I mean, but, but those are the times, right? When things are like hazardous or like radioactive, some sort of like chemical spill that you're trying to contain using the sand and stuff to like soak it up and those types of things. While burying something obviously is more of like a ceremonial death type thing to do Mm -hmm. when you like bury something as opposed to like rip it something apart. 
in this time that is a very specific time period, not reclaiming the wood and not just moving those buildings to a different place, it's kind of crazy. We know from having gone, gone on studio tours and stuff, they don't just bury a set when they're done with it they take it apart and you use it in other scenarios so the amount of times i've seen that backlot of wb's gold buddha being on various <laughs> shows is like my god they don't throw away anything they reuse it over and over i most recently saw it on the colbert show so i was like oh my god that buddha is still around but i think that it really begs the question why why would you bury this town? Why wouldn't you just dismantle it? The thing is, there is like a thread of that throughout Westworld that is odd about it. Like the theater being stuffed full of storage type prop things that seems like, okay, on one hand, maybe, okay, they use this as truly like storage, like they would come and get pieces out of it. Mm -hmm. But it didn't have that air. It didn't have an air that people come here every couple months and get stuff out of. It had the air of like, we lock the doors and no one ever comes in here. Yeah. And I read like a an article that said something about like Westworld never throws away anything. I feel like that's true too in that we were talking about the old office space. Right. And why was it left like crackling and bubbling and leaking and popping? The light's still kind of on, you know? I, like why don't they ever shut things down and clean things up and repurpose it like anywhere else would ever do? Why do they always just like abandon places and like scatter to the wind? That will be very interesting to find out. They keep the hosts and just leave them in the basement. Yeah, and we talked about that too. Why don't they dismantle them? Why do they leave them intact standing in a cold basement? It's all the same theme of like, why do they abandon things? Why don't they treat things like any other company or what our human existence has sort of taught us that any company would do? You either incinerate something, like truly get rid of it, or you repurpose it, or you use the parts, you, you dismantle things. Maybe there's something to the scene where, where Dolores goes and the flashbacks to 35 years ago or five years prior to when she's there with William become the most intense and she can really see what was happening in the town and remembers the girl coming up and talking to her and someone shooting the hosts and all that. What if someone... Ford probably had some foreknowledge of the way that such an event would have just been like hardwired into those hosts' memories in a way that he couldn't even delete. And so if they ever came there again and were, were reminded of the event that what happened to the Lords would happen to them, which is just, if someone's not there to drag you away from it, you'll just freak out and and fall on the ground. Okay. I, I, I go with everything you're saying, but that begs my question even harder then why would you leave a church steeple sticking out of the ground? Why would you leave the tip tops of the roofs exposed? You would tear it down if that was the case. If any little bit of it was there, made you remember and made you wig out, why the frick would you leave it? Remember when we talked about it earlier this season, I think it was second or third episode. Remember when Ford goes out there with Bernie? who we now might have been completely in host mode. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Yeah, because he's wearing that baseball cap, which was the strange Oh, I thought it was costume. a helmet, like a hard hat. No, nope, no, it was a baseball cap, and it's very weird. They go to the Black Spire, and at that point you would guess, well, maybe it's some kind of marker for 
the Arnold. death of Arnold, right? Some yeah. sort of grave site, which it still comes off like a grave site. Don't get me wrong. Every arrow points to grave site. You bury dead things. You don't dismantle them. You bury things like memorials, you know, are usually done on the site. I'm trying to think of how like memorials are built. Like with pedestals and things? Well, that the ground itself or maybe any memorabilia that's there isn't necessarily taken away from that spot. It's just covered over. So maybe by burying it, it makes it a memorial of some sort. I mean, that's the vibe I got whenever I said it was Arnold's grave. I wasn't trying to say just that Arnold necessarily was the only thing buried there, but just more like it had a memorial type feeling. It had a marker of something that this is where we remember the thing that happened. That's the vibe that I got from that episode. But I just, I struggle with this idea of like, if we ignore, again, be in denial, the fact that they just keep leaving things in place as they were, and they don't go back and they don't dismantle them, they don't clean them up, and they don't do anything, then I think we're missing something. I would like to keep that in mind as we're moving forward about this idea that somehow there's some sense of this burial ritual with Westworld and the idea, like you were saying, who just builds on top of an old structure? Why would you just move to the next floor above it? But that implies like burying it, right? Not yeah. repurposing it, not reusing it, but burying it. Weird, right? But it keeps happening. So there's something there. And you know what else you bury? memories like that suppressing them right they call that buried memory well that was my question internally would ford go through the trouble of burying a town just because of the bad stuff that went down there and he didn't want to think about it so he just buried the town and i thought that would be pretty uh extensive for just that single justification but now we know what he's willing to do for, for what he wants. So I'm not even saying it was Ford that did it. I mean, I don't know who buried the town or why exactly. But I just think that the act of burying it is worth thinking about. Dolores certainly is struck by the entire adventure of getting there. She continues to have those flashbacks of various death moments for herself where like where she's face down in the stream. Yeah. Or where she... Holds the gun to her own head. My God, what was that holding the gun to her own head? I have seen elsewhere on the internet where people are saying that she is somehow Wyatt because the people that get shot in that scene look a lot like the people that are getting shot in the other scene. And maybe she's just kind of transposing memories. And the little girl and Dolores are talking and the gunfire starts. Right. So that is that kind of negates that idea then. It... It Certainly, if Wyatt is cast doubt on it, for right, sure. Right, Wyatt, Wyatt is the shooter. That seems odd, then. And like, but then how that sense. leads to committing suicide with the gun? I can only think that at this point seems to resemble Maeve stabbing, stabbing herself. herself, stabbing herself in the neck with the scalpel as just a last second. That didn't really happen, but it's just something tagged on to your nightmarish recollection of something. Maybe it did happen. I, I can't say for sure, but they resemble each other. I mean, they're both acts of suicide. They do. You know? They do resemble each other. And, and, and it also seems to be at like a crazy crisis, like the climax of like a freak out that they're doing these, these motions. Mm -hmm. I also thought that this idea of, of William and Dolores dealing with the guy who is suffering and Dolores really questioning William in that moment of like, what kind of people would we be if we let him suffer? 
he kind of looks at her like very questioning about this sort of. I don't know if that is because it's like, look, D, we know this dude's a host. He's a robot. He's not really suffering. Or if it's like him questioning himself, like, how are you enjoying this town of suffering, basically? Like where you're going around either killing people or people are getting raped or you are you have these whores or you have this like people in constant fear from all these uh, bandits coming in town or whatever. Who are you? What kind of people are we to enjoy the suffering of others or to in any way not try to alleviate the suffering of others? Uh, I think it was the first one. The look on his face is the look that I would make if it was A, this guy's a robot and B, he was trying to kill us anyway. So, but that's a different feeling. That's a different feeling. That's what I'm going for for number three of like the, or do you think it's more like this guy's our enemy, Dolores. In this case, we need to keep moving. This would be stupid to give aid to the enemy right now because it's going to put us in danger. But that does not acknowledge that he's a host and that does not acknowledge his own participation in the suffering of others. That's actually still believing in the realism of the world, that this is an enemy and then that's what we've got to get going. That's totally different. Mm, So do you think he's buying into the story and saying, this is an enemy, we've got to keep moving? Or do you think he's still outside of the story and being like, this is a robot. We're not going to help a robot or be sad about the suffering of robots. Well, you know, he's not pretending anymore, as he told us. (laughs) But he is going through all this with Dolores. And the reason he gives her is that this guy was trying to kill us. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess I'll just go with that, that he's, he's into the story at this point. And so he thinks he's truly the enemy. Then I have to ask you this question. When she has her back turned and she's having this this memory flash of her own self in the stream, do you think William killed that enemy dude? Because when she turns back around and she hasn't gotten the water there, now again, we have no, we have no idea how long she stood there. Two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. How long did she stand there and not bring the water back to him? We don't know. So maybe, perhaps he died, he bled out simply because she was taking her sweet time at the stream. Or did William actually... I kind of think he did. I think he did a... Did you ever see when Tony Soprano killed Christopher? No. Spoiler alert. He just pinched his nose and covered his mouth because he wasn't... He'd been in a car accident and he wasn't strong enough to to fend him off. Mm -hmm. And I think he did that. Mm -hmm. I'm with you because I think when Dolores looks back... And the guy's dead. She gives like like that cockeyed like. She gives him a, a look. Yeah, like what'd you do, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think that that was like super like hmm. And it makes me wonder what is William capable of, and like what's his biz here? It's changing. I mean, he's dirtying his formerly white hat. It certainly is. It has gotten some big fat smudges, doesn't it? And getting out of the jam that they get into as they are trying to get away from the buried town might require more compromises. Oh God, were you shocked as hell when Logan came riding up with those confederados? Yeah. I thought it was going to be more confederados, more people that were going to be trouble, but I never expected Logan to be with them. I never saw this as Logan hunting them. You know, like I didn't foresee that coming. Like when they ran away and went on their own adventure, I guess I thought Logan had his own adventures in mind. And so in many ways, I guess I thought he would just, I don't know, go off with the Confederados to war. I didn't think that he would spend his time trying to hunt down 
William and Dolores and try to what kill Dolores? I guess is going to have to be his game. Yeah. Plans. What What is the end What's game the here? When you know you've been ditched by your future brother-in-law to be pummeled. I guess revenge is like a kind of a natural sort of feeling, but where is this going to go? You got to wonder, like, how does this affect when they leave Westworld? Is it just like a Vegas sort of thing? Like, ah, ah, remember that time we left you to the Confederados? (laughs) And then you chased us down like pigs. Right. And then you teamed up with the Confederados and then chased us and and tied us up and beat us. Remember that? That was so fun. <laughs> right. Let's go back to our board meeting. Right. Do you need some more potato salad? <laughs> right. At Thanksgiving dinner or right. something. I don't know. I don't really get it. And like, here's the thing. I know when they left Logan getting punched, the last scene of Logan's face was a smile. For me, it was like, I thought he was happy that William had finally bought into the game and that William was going off to have this adventure. Like, I thought he was like, ha, ha, ha. Like, that was almost his... I don't want to say revenge, but it was almost his, that's the biggest joke on you. I told you this town would get you and it got you. I didn't think of it as, yeah, run little pig because I'm about to chase you down. You know, I didn't take it like that. And now I feel like he's the wolf, right? Coming after him. Yeah. Good analogy. Thanks, Paul. So these two birds, I leave them wondering about what, what is Logan's endgame what is William really thinking of Dolores? And what is Dolores really thinking of William? All those relationshipers, I got to tell you guys, just please spend your time worrying about somebody else because they are not writing them as lovers. They, they really aren't. Or maybe they're really, really terrible about knowing. I, I don't want to know what their marriage is like because this is not a romance, y'all. Speaking of romance, the man in black and Teddy are still hanging out. That's more of a bromance, Paul. You think? They have a funny little rapport. Do you believe that the backstory that the man in black gives for himself is credible? I struggle with it because on one hand, I think that this idea that he went back after Westworld and married Juliet and that somehow Juliet is living in sheer terror for 30 years. They have one child, Emily, and that the woman took the wrong pills may or may not have been true suicide and died. And then the daughter like flips on him and says, you know, like, oh, it was a suicide because we all lived in fear of you. I just feel like some parts of it could be accurate, I guess. But I don't 100%. First of all, there's no reason to tell Teddy your true life story. There's like Mm -hmm. zero payoff for him to tell Teddy his life story. So in many ways, I feel like, I don't know, he could be telling anybody's story. I don't know why he would care to tell Teddy. The flip of that is, why would he care to tell Teddy a lie? Teddy's just a dumb robot sidekick as far as he's concerned. He doesn't really owe him the truth or make or the energy to make up a big lie. For now, because I do think that he is this titan of industry that he describes himself, Only because of what that other guest, you know, said Mm -hmm. way back about how, you know, you saved my sister. That is the only little nugget that I'm actually drawing any amount of credibility to it. Of like being like, well, that other guy did say that he had a big foundation and all this stuff. So maybe he did have this very expensive and luxurious life that ended up being this giant sham. 
we know for a fact that if William is man in black, then we do believe that William is going to leave here feeling like a shattered sham of a person, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to the regular world. So that's kind of the man he described. And he'll have married a girl and been married for 30 years. Time frame makes sense. Time frame works. I don't know why he would have to tell Teddy a lie. But I also don't know why he would feel like he needed to bear his soul, except for just to share that information with us as the audience. But it could have come out in other ways. I kind of liked it that it came out through the guest like that. That was actually kind of a cool way to have it happen. Did you have any um, suspicions that the girl who keeps showing up in the oddest places would be a plant from Wyatt? I recognized her as being the girl from the Welcome Center. Mm -hmm. I didn't initially recognize her as the parasol girl from the original story. Yeah, blink and you miss her on that scene. Yeah. I mean, she does look right in the camera, but I just didn't pay that much attention to her. But no, I did not connect her to Wyatt because I guess I haven't given enough thought to the idea that Wyatt knows they're coming and would come try to get them. Like it seemed like previously that they almost stumbled onto Wyatt's land um, and those wiggity creatures came out. And so I didn't, I kind of took those creatures to be like a land we were passing through to get to Wyatt. But I didn't take them as like they could actually be coming for us too. When you have guys in your posse that can get shot and not go down, subterfuge doesn't really seem very necessary, right? You can just come at them straight on and no big deal. I agree. And so I was really surprised when she was so proactive, like in stabbing Teddy and doing everything. No, here's the thing. I feel like maybe, maybe hurting Teddy like that now I'm like kind of just kind of walk this through because I haven't thought it through. Maybe how those guys who are dressed like they are aren't able to be hurt very easily. Maybe hurting Teddy and getting him to a place where maybe he needs them to fix this wound. And maybe whatever they do for him, to him, give him, allows him to be hurt less by giving him some sort of armor or something or some sort of piece of metal even over that spot or something. Maybe these are people who have been hurt lots of times and they figured out how to weld shit right onto them or whatever, you know, some yeah. sort of way to patch people up. So is this a posse of hosts that are like coming out dressed like these? I believe so. See, you and I were having a discussion earlier this week, which is... Related to, is Wyatt even a thing? I mean, Wyatt is like a week old. However, the man in black is treating Wyatt like his entree into the maze. And Teddy's after him like crazy because he thinks Dolores is with him. But in actuality, it's only a thing because Ford made it a thing a week ago or, or right, so. Right, by implanting the memory. Right. So I'm with you. Yeah, that was that. That was we had a lengthy discussion about like, I mean, is Wyatt even a person? Is Wyatt even an actual thing that happened way back when? Or is it just an implanted memory? Like an unfindable MacGuffin? Like... You can keep fighting minotaurs or more likely just getting scared away by minotaurs. And it's, and it's no big deal because you'll never find Wyatt because he's not there. If he's supposed to be our diversion from looking for Arnold or for looking for the maze, was the story just sent into this spot as a diversionary tactic? I think Take up your time. I think a red herring is not out of the realm of possibility here. How about even this? What if the concept of Wyatt is illustrating 
how memories can be falsified and implanted and you could spend your life on a quest that someone else just pushed you into by giving you this enough information to make you think this is what you're supposed to be doing with yourself. If Wyatt wasn't real, it could still not be like a red herring as much as it could be an illustration to us as the audience that like a not every quest is a true quest. Sometimes you think you need to be hunting something down and you need to be finding something and really it was of your own making and in a lot of ways <laughs> sort of a tilting at windmills kind of thing well i mean doesn't it seem like i mean it's teddy's quest and it's sort of kind of dolores's quest sort of because of the town and the happening they've kind of wrapped wyatt into that happening we think mm -hmm. and so then that seems to be drawing her as well even though i know she's saying arnold but it just is sort of like you said, it doesn't seem like we're supposed to find Wyatt, but it does seem like we're supposed to learn something from the Wyatt story. Mm -hmm. I'm giving it that much credit. We're supposed to learn something about how the characters work, how the how the park works, how any narrative comes to be by seeing the origination of Wyatt and then how implanting those memories affects our characters. So... In turn, maybe <laughs> I would then begin to question everything, you know, because you should. Is it is it something that did happen or just something that they said happened? And that's the whole thing. As Sophia says on Golden Girls, she was talking about it. She told me the whole story. She laughed about it. It doesn't have to be real. You just have to think it happened. Like William could, in the end, think he had a love affair with Dolores. And we're witnessing not it not be real. <laughs> right. But it doesn't have to have been real. He just has to go for 30 years thinking he had a love affair. That would explain a lot. Him coming to realize the artifice of it. And then he shows up that night at Abernathy's ranch and smacks her around a little. I still hate that part, though. Well, it's not, it's not it. the right way to act. It's not the way <laughs> well, we tell our kids to act. Right. It's, I mean, you, you don't appreciate that kind of behavior around these parts. No, 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 that would never be okay. So given all these adventures that Teddy and Man in Black have had over this last episode or two, looking for Wyatt and getting now into this position where Angela has basically injured Teddy and where do we think these two are headed? Are they going to be drug off to Wyatt's camp and just hung out there until basically from what we understand the 28 days is as long as anyone can stay in Westworld I don't know what happens to you do like the shades coming and drag you out because I don't know how they make people just be done after 28 days but Men in Black has implied that he has a time frame and that he's running out of time and mm -hmm. that he has to get to something before this time is up so what's going to happen to them do you think for these last two episodes of this season what more information could we find out? Will we find out who Man in Black is? I think we got to find out whether or not he is William by the end of this season. That's a good minimum expectation. I think that that's right on. I give you that too. He doesn't have to find the maze. He doesn't have to, we don't have to know if Arnold's there or not there. We don't have to get to that point, but I think we have to, at the minimum, solidify whether he is William or someone else that we still need a name for. Mm -hmm. I think we have to find out that much. I mean, some people think he's Logan. That is just like a straight line from evil jerk in Westworld to evil jerk in Westworld. 
I don't think that that would be as interesting myself. It only makes sense that only for me in that that's why he would like be able to slap around Dolores. Yeah. And still be able to say, I I was here 30 years ago. Why you can't remember me? We had adventures together. Because they did. Logan did. And even even he could say, in all the times I've come back, psh, maybe. Logan could have kept coming back. We don't know. Do you think that if there is going to be like a death in the park, do you think that it's possible that the whole setup is that Logan is going to die in the park and there's always going to be a question mark about whether it was William who did it in the park and maybe that's why the wife has this like gnawing worry mm. that somehow I like that idea. he's going to wig out and kill her too. That makes a lot of good sense. Logan being her brother. And maybe it was like an unsolved thing, but like there was always murmurings that William was really behind it. Yeah, that's pretty good. I don't have a better idea. It's possible. And I guess that that could be the only seed that I could find right now as to why the wife could have this strange idea that he could snap or, or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, living in fear for 30 years or whatever the, the daughter, it, he it, says that the daughter told him. It has to have come from something. And, and I guess I could go with the idea that that's where it would have come from. And maybe he even feels like he has to go through with the plan and stuff because of some incident that happened with Logan. You know, like for him, guilt or or whatever of whatever happens makes him feel like he has to go through with the real life decisions and commitments he had made. Or um, maybe the man in black dresses like that at home. Well, that would be intimidating. Carries around a gun. Wears gloves all the time. Wears gloves, <laughs> a little scarf. <laughs> I kind of love that. If you if you wore gloves around all the time, like you were about to go and you murder someone, I think that it would intimidate me. That's true. See, we're making a lot of assumptions about his home life. and We really are. Everything is on the table here. Maybe he's just into bondage kind of stuff. He just likes that tight Old leather. West bondage type <laughs> motif. Oh my goodness. I feel like we found out a lot of information this episode and we also have a lot of questions. So I really look forward to it being already number nine. Number nine. I'm excited. And we already know that Westworld 2 is coming out. Unfortunately, it seems like it's going to be quite a wait. So I'm going to be sad to miss our Westworld discussions. And hopefully they leave us with enough information that we don't feel unsatisfied with this season as a whole. I don't want to go out on a thousand questions. I'm okay with going out with three or four to five solid good questions. But I really don't want things like who is Men in Black, who, which was the question from day one, to linger. Some of these has got to get answered. To I feel bet good. they do. I mean, a second season pickup wasn't a guarantee. I bet they close a lot of storylines and then leave enough open so they can they can move on. Oh, you know what was a one awesome takeaway I'm going to put a lot of hope on is that when Man in Black is telling his backstory and he says that he has more than one of these worlds. How does he say it? It's something like he tells Teddy that he not only owns this one, but others like it or, or something to that effect. So that's the general idea, which does very much play into what we had been saying from the very beginning, that it would make a lot of sense that we may leave Westworld. There were other worlds that had to do with the Westworld entire universe, including like Future World and Roman World. And so given that, I do think that actually other worlds could be each season and therefore they could wrap this up really really quite well and maybe Maeve bops into Roman world with us who knows wouldn't that be a killer 
if she escapes one world only to find herself in the in the monorail going to the next world. Yeah, she that, didn't actually pop out, but she maybe could be the link to lead us to the next location. That would tie in some of that Lovecraftian horror that's like the universe is way bigger than you. You are just a tiny speck in the middle of something crazy going on that you've just seen a little bit and now you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that you think that if you if you could get out of this situation, you're not just walking into another bad situation. Right. Right. So I like that. I like the idea that that's where this could head, that Maeve could actually be our flea that just jumps from one dog's back to another dog's back. And it's like, shit, I'm just on another dog's back. <laughs> I'm just in a different costume. Right. You know, like that could totally happen. Well, I'm really looking forward to number nine. We'll see you guys then. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.